This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Guys, we are so excited about this upcoming uh, virtual live show. It's uh, it's going to be a live stream on the Looped Network, Loop Platform, and it is, I think, going to be the most amazing live stream that we've done because it's our first. <laughs> That's accurate. Hey, you know how sometimes excited and really nervous get yeah. confused in your body right. and your body and your brain react negatively mm-hmm. to uh, things that are exciting? Yes. Yeah, that's unrelated to what you're talking about. No, completely different. I, I remember when I was in uh, school and I played on the baseball team, before the game, I would get like the nervous nervous shits, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So I've got that right now. Oh, but the, the, the show's not for like three weeks. Yeah, something like that. So you're going to have to fix that because you don't want to have... Just let me enjoy my nervous shits. Okay, but you poor thing. But what's great about this uh, the show is that it will be available regardless of what platform you are on. You don't have to be like on Facebook or YouTube, anything like that, because... It's like a freestanding platform. So you don't have to already be on some sort of social media in order to be a part of this event. Yep. And I think that's part of what makes it really cool. If you want to watch the show with friends from around the country, you can do that mm-hmm. by getting a suite. And that means that, uh, you know, you can video chat during the show regardless of where you're watching it. And so- we're going to have an opportunity to do meet and greets, which I think is what's really cool. If you buy the meet and greet package, then um, you get a guarantee video call from us yeah right after the show we can't guarantee it'll be good no but we guarantee you'll get a video call <laughs> from us we'll get the details up very very soon well we're still figuring out the details but we will have them for you soon and i'm just really jazzed about this i think it's going to be fun slash i'm terrified oh please don't make me do it sorry too late <laughs> But if it'll make you feel better, I'll I'll go first, do my story first today. Okay, that's nice. I'm going to talk about the bloody history of the roller coaster. Okay. (laughs) The early history of the roller coaster finds its origins in Russia. Did you know that? I did not know that. The earliest forms of the roller coaster 
They were constructed out of ice in the 17th century in Russia. They were called sliding mountains, only they used Russian words instead of sliding mountains. In fact, even the cars were made out of blocks of ice. Uh, They were primarily a popular attraction for the rich and for the royals during those days. That's amazing. They would build these slides using chutes constructed out of lumber. And originally, they were about 20 meters tall, and they would pack it with ice and then make the carts out of ice. It guaranteed a pretty fast ride. It's kind of like a bobsled kind of thing. Yeah, that's what I thought, too, when they were describing this. But there are some drawings and sketches from the late 17th century of these slides indicating that they were uh, very fast, but also very unstable. Mm. Uh, Witnesses at the time said they often saw people, quote, flying off the hills. (laughs) It's even believed that Catherine the Great may have been responsible for the first real roller coaster. In 1784, during the summer months, she wanted to go sliding on one of the uh, ice mountains, but because it was summer, that was impossible. So she wanted a summer version built in her garden at her palace near St. Petersburg. Stop it! This was, in fact, the first wooden roller coaster. I had no idea. It was quite advanced. It even had grooved tracks where the wooden wheels would slot into the slide. Um, now, you're probably thinking, that's not very classy for Russian aristocracy. Well, she she classed it up by adding a tea pavilion. I love it. She would have her rich hoity-toity friends over, and they would have tea and then ride her roller coaster. I can't think of anything more aristocracy-ish than commissioning a thing that probably cost an insane amount of money just so you might have a little bit of fun with your tea. How the roller coaster migrated is still a pretty big question. Some think that Russian soldiers might have been responsible for it. During the war, they brought their idea with them to France, and that would have been about 1817, sometime after Napoleon's defeat. The very first French roller coaster was a thrilling ride. Passengers would descend a curving track on a cart, but the thing was, they were the carts were on three wheels and you had to stand up. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that was dangeroso. That sounds terrible. Later that year, the French re-engineered it, and uh, it was the first roller coaster that had cars whose wheels would lock into the track. Okay. And you could sit down, and it had four wheels. So it was a little less scary, but dangerous nonetheless. Yeah, but nothing about standing up (laughs) in a cart that is moving at a very high speed Mm -hmm. seems smart. No, no, not at all. These rides were popular, but they did not debut in the uh, U.S. for another 50 years. Mm. Roller coaster historians, yes, there are those, believe that the Switchback (laughs) Railroad in Pennsylvania was probably the first one to open in the U.S. This was around 1844, but it wasn't built as a coaster. It was used to haul coal down a steep hill. Sure, that makes perfect sense. But, you know, after a couple bottles of liquor, they started daring each other to ride down the uh, coal cart down the side of the mountain, and people thought it would be pretty cool. And it turned out it was. Pretty soon people in the area were so infatuated with this idea that by 1844, the railroad was offering passenger rides down the mountain at incredible speeds, 
certainly incredible for the time, mm. 50 miles per hour. Wow. That was unheard of at and that time. I would assume that you could take the mine cart from the mine to the bus stop or to town or to the quarry. No, just down the hill. That was pretty much it. Oh, all right. Soon after, in the early 1880s, the very first real dedicated roller coaster opened at Coney Island. It was inspired by the Pennsylvania Switchback Railroad, mm -hmm. but uh, this one was much slower. It moved at just six miles per hour down a 600-foot-long one-way track. It wasn't that exciting, but it was only a nickel, and it became hugely popular. The guy who owned it was making pretty soon $600 a day. That's a lot of nickels. Wow. I know. So, wait, it was just a one? Yeah. Like, did it loop around? No. Just, no, just down a hill. How did they get the cart back up to the top? They must have pulled it up. I'm not sure. You're probably right. Ancient roller coaster theorists say yes. It was uh, only about a year later that the very first complete oval circuit track became the norm. And by 1886, the first roller coaster that incorporated dark tunnels were making an appearance. This was uh, all the rage for a while. You'd go down, go around a bend and into a dark tunnel. Mm. Coney Island was leading the way when it came to amusement park rides in the early 20th century. So it's not that surprising that Coney Island is also the location of the very first major roller coaster disaster in the United States. This was a period that's looked upon as the golden age of roller coasters. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the early 20th century. At the time, there were nearly 2,000 of them across the country. Oh, wow. Coney Island's roller coaster was called the Rough Rider. It was named after uh, <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt and <laughs> opened in 1907. Mm -hmm. um, this roller coaster actually, it had a driver in it. They had a person in it that drove it. Like a conductor? Yeah, like a conductor. And it had an electric motor. It was extremely popular with the tourists and the locals alike. The lines sometimes were so long, one could not see the end of the line. Coaster riders would line up and wait for hours to spend their nickel on this ride. You could you could have been a roller coaster conductor and you could have worn your your little conductor hat and your stripy overalls. Are you making fun of my 1970s train engineer fashion craze? No, I just want to bring it up. I <laughs> I I had a thing where I dressed like a train conductor. Uh, when I was in high school. Tell them about the kerchief. Yeah, and, and you had to have like a little red uh, bandana sticking out of your rear right pocket. It was a, it was a whole thing. Anyway, <laughs> it was usually the first spot people would go to when visiting Coney Island. Everyone wanted to be able to say they rode on the Rough Riders coaster. Mm -hmm. And it made a lot of happy summertime memories for people. But then the summer of 1910 rolled around. And people were all lined up for the Rough Rider roller coaster like they normally would be. There was a real lack of safety precautions, though. Roller coasters were pretty much, they were new, relatively yeah. new. And uh, there were no sta safety standards or safety checks in effect. This turned out to be disastrous. That summer in 1910, during one ride on the Rough Rider coaster, the, uh, the coaster turned too quickly around the bend mm -hmm. and threw 16 riders from their seats. Wow. That flung them out over the midway. Four of them died in the accident. This, of course, was big news at the time. Some politicians even called for roller coasters to be outlawed. They wanted to ban 
roller coasters across the country. But even though this was a horrific accident, it wasn't enough to get the attraction shut down. In fact, it didn't even slow the lines down. People just didn't care. They wanted to ride the roller coaster. <laughs> and things continued pretty well for a time until July 27th, 1915, five years later, a day when history kind of repeated itself. On that hot July afternoon in 1915, six passengers boarded the ride. The driver sped down the incline into the curve. The car began to lose stability, and it flipped over onto its side. The driver and four of the riders were thrown into a wrought iron railing that enclosed the track, but the railing was so cheaply made that after they were flung into it, it broke away and three of them fell an additional 30 feet to the concrete below, killing them. The conductor's body was thrown so far it landed on an onlooker, and sent that person to the hospital as well. That would be terrifying. The other two riders were thrown from the coaster but survived. Uh, They were Clara Moles and her son Edward. Edward was only four years old at the time. How they survived was nothing short of a miracle, really. Clara just gripped onto the handrail with one hand and used her other arm to hold onto her son, and the car flipped off the track, but she was dangling above the pavement hanging on to the car with one arm and her four-year-old son in the other. And police who saw this uh, accident happen climbed up the framework of the coaster and pulled them back up onto the track. Wow. She was hanging off the roller coaster by her hand. What a beast. With with her baby in the arm. Clara. The ride's manager, his name was Thomas Ward. He was arrested after the accident and charged with homicide. Wow. However, the jury ultimately exonerated him. They decided that that accident was, quote, unavoidable. At this point, it became more of a thrill to go to Coney Island and sit and watch people ride the roller coaster (laughs) rather than ride on it themselves. Crowds would gather. They'd stake out a spot where they had a good view of the most dangerous curve of the coaster. Maybe they brought a little lunch, hoping to witness some, you know, roller coaster carnage. Oh, jeez. Once again, kind of like NASCAR. But of course, that wasn't making the roller coaster guy any money, so the coaster lost its popularity over the next year or so and shut down for good in 1916. Certainly, this was not the last coaster fatality. There have been amusement park accidents fairly regularly, unfortunately. The worst roller coaster disaster came in 1930 in Omaha, Nebraska. The Big Dipper roller coaster derailed and fell 35 feet to the ground. This accident killed four and injured 17. Wow. At the time, it was considered the deadliest amusement park accident in U.S. history and still is thought of, and it's still thought of that way today. More recently, on July 26, a whole row on the Ohio State attraction, the Fireball, fell off and two seatbelts malfunctioned, sending people into a free fall. Then Ohio Governor John Kasich said uh, he called it the worst tragedy in the history of the fair. Kevin Lewis from uh, Time Magazine noted that there have been at least four serious amusement park accidents since that one in May of 2017, both in the U.S. and abroad. A coaster collision in Spain injured 33 people. Uh, There was another gondola accident uh, at Six Flags, New York State, where a teenager fell 25 feet. There have been some water ride accidents, one in California, one in the U.K. These have all been pretty horrific amusement park accidents. Yeah, but, but it doesn't happen a lot. Well, in researching this, I came across statistics of less horrific amusement park accidents. There are a lot of accidents. 
just not really bad ones like that. Oh. All of Florida's major resorts, which include Walt Disney World, SeaWorld, Universal Studios, Busch Gardens, and Tampa as well, they have to report quarterly the details surrounding any accidents that uh, occur at their park. It's, mm -hmm. it's a requirement. Checking out some of these reports, I came across this one. A 68-year-old woman broke both her legs and an arm while getting off Peter Pan's flight. While getting off the car, Peter Pan's flight. I've, I've never been on that ride. Is it... Is it a pretty intense no, ride? Because no. it doesn't sound like No, it. it's it's not. I think that if that had been me and I broke both of my arms and my leg getting off the Peter Pan flight ride, mm -hmm. I'd lie and say it was Space Mountain. <laughs> it just sounds much cooler. <laughs> anyway, roller coasters, they're bloody. <laughs> you say this as we are currently planning <laughs> an amusement park trip. That's true. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I sourced my information from Ripley's Believe It or Not, History.com and Wikipedia. And now, that thing in the middle. The thing in the middle this time comes from Weird History's Twitter feed. This is great. And it's all like weird history. Thanks. <laughs> Number five. When homosexuality was classified as an illness in Sweden, Swedes protested by calling in sick to work, claiming they felt a little gay. Number four, one of the lead scientists developing the atomic bomb was Louis G. Doom, i.e. Dr. Doom. Number three, avocado comes from the Aztec awaka kawahatl, which means testicle tree. Mm. Number two, a butt was a medieval unit of measure for wine. Technically, a buttload of wine <laughs> is about 126 gallons. It's a real unit of measurement, everyone. And number one during World War II, a Great Dane named Juliana was awarded the Blue Cross Medal in 1941 after she extinguished an incendiary bomb by peeing on it. Good girl, Juliana. The podcast now in a convenient travel size that fits in your pocket or purse. And in three new scents. Freshly cut coconut, summer breeze, and something died in the attic. This is The Box of Oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight.
You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. We got an email from Shane that uh, starts off by saying some really nice things about us, and I'm I'm just going to skip that, okay? (laughs) Um, And then... Uh, They said, I started episode 313 on my way to work. I finished the Olympic Games section just before I got to work. While at work, it was slow and I was diddle-daddling on the internet. And then later in the day, my boss was talking about his upcoming trip to scale Mount Rainier. Naturally, I brought up the dead bodies on Mount Everest because I find that shit interesting, especially since I learned it from you. So... You would not believe the freakout session I had while finishing the rest of episode 313 on my way home. Oh, that's right, because we did the third man syndrome. I shit you not. I screamed out in my car, box of oddities effect. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there were looks from other cars. The shit is real. (laughs) It is real. We're we're getting so many messages, emails and Mm -hmm. messages about box of oddities effects. Uh, John, father of Quinn, wrote, listening to Nude Male Rumble Fest, which is the same episode that they were just listening to. As I was listening, it was time to make lunch. I'd been cleaning out the pantry and found a box of flaming Hot Cheetos mac and cheese. As I'm putting the pasta in the boiling water, I hear Kat say, It's Hot Cheetos, motherfucker! <laughs> this box has been in my pantry for months because my wife doesn't like spicy food, and I only decided to have it today because I'm home alone. Kind of freaked me out a little bit. Love the show. Thanks, John, father of Quinn. (laughs) 
wonderful. What you got for me, girl? Golden Week is a week from April 29 to early May that contains a number of Japanese holidays. And Children's Day uh, falls at the end of Golden Week. It's a Japanese national holiday which takes place uh, on May 5th. It's the final celebration in Golden Week. And it's set aside to respect children's personalities and to celebrate their happiness. It was designated a national holiday by the Japanese government in 1948. And it's been a day of celebration in Japan since ancient times. I think it's just the coolest idea that there's just a day to celebrate that kids are neat. <laughs> it's like when I was I was a kid and we would say, how come there's Mother's Day and a Father's Day and there's no Children's Day? And, the, and my mom would always say, and I'm sure yours did too, every day is Children's Day, which oh. was a lie. No, I never asked that question. Well, I would never be so bold as to assume there should be a day celebrating me really no no Mm, no that would have been you need to change your mindset girl oh thank you Mm -hmm. now every day is your day oh look at you and you're still a child at heart so that works out what i really enjoy about this little speech that you just gave Mm -hmm. is all the hand gestures that came with it i was like big into the gestures when you said all the days you literally made a big sun with your hands It was adorable. I love you. Anyway, what was I saying? Oh, yes. Nobody liked me when I was a kid. (laughs) No, that wasn't the point. Okay. So it's generally on May 5th that the Nakisumo Festival is held in the Shinto shrines and throughout Japan. It's held at several shrines throughout the country, but the event at Sensoji in Asakusa is one of the most famous. Tell me all about it. Well, the festival involves pairing up a sumo wrestler with a tiny baby person. <laughs> like a full-grown... Like a full-on sumo big wrestler. sumo guy. In the whole outfit, you okay, know. Yeah. And then a tiny baby person. Really, really. Do, do they give the baby a head start or how does this work? It's two sumo wrestlers enter the ring. It's, the ring is uh, made for this event, each with a baby. Traditionally dressed, they carry the small, tiny people uh, into the circle where they then face off against each other. Holding the baby? The hulking sumo wrestlers then... Bounce the babies around and try to get theirs to cry first. <laughs> and whoever whoever's baby cries first is the winner. So the good news is your baby won. The bad news is he's now suffering from shaken baby syndrome. Among the techniques used to make the babies unhappy include uh, putting on a scary mask mm-hmm. to, to frighten them sure. into crying mm-hmm. or to stand by... Uh, yelling, cry, cry, cry. This has got to fuck a kid's head up. <laughs> the little tiny baby faces. How old are these little tiny babies? Like fresh out of the so womb? So are they small. still moist and they're covered so... in blood? Because that's not a very good welcome to the world. Okay, so the rules vary from region to region in Japan. And some people believe that the baby who cries first is the loser. I can't get on mm, board mm, that. Mm. I think that if you end up crying due to a giant sumo wrestler yelling at your face, you should be the winner. Sure. Because if you cry and are also the loser, that's just sad. Mm. But if you're frightened into crying, but then you're the winner, that's nicer. (laughs) Okay. 
It's kind of a consolation prize. The festival is a centuries-old tradition that stems from the belief that a crying baby will grow up happy and healthy. Uh, the idea is that the baby's cries will add to prosperity and ward off demons in the community. This is according to Ripley's. The festival gets its name from the saying, Naku Koa Sodatsu, or crying babies grow fat. So once a year, parents bring their their tiny babies born in the last year to the temple. How do they how do they select the babies? Okay, so do the sumo wrestlers have any kind of personal connection with these children? No. Are they total strangers? Total strangers. <laughs> That's fucked up. <laughs> so eligible competitors must be between the ages of six months and eighteen months at the time of the festival. About a hundred babies compete every year. Parents pay up to fifteen thousand yen for their baby to compete. Uh, but they get a little consolation prize and a cute little hat that they can wear. Um, some locations are so popular that the children actually are chosen by lottery. And the parents will travel across the country to find a place to participate. While the majority of the uh, babies are Japanese, some foreigners have traveled to Japan to take part in the festival. This is according to japanistry.com. And then they give their their teeny Teeny tiny babies, they just hand them over mm-hmm. to a sumo wrestler. And so the sumo wrestler, mm-hmm. first of all, they pay 15,000 yen. Yeah. Uh, they give their innocent child to a giant sumo wrestler yes. who screams in the baby's face. Yeah. And if the baby cries mm-hmm. first, yeah. then the baby wins and yeah. the parents get a paper hat. <laughs> it doesn't sound like a very it's good not, deal. It's not paper. You said it was a paper hat. I was picturing like those Burger King crowns that they used to hand out. Oh, I pictured like Georgie's. Oh, like his little boat. in Georgie's little boat hat. In in it. Yeah. yeah. But no, it's not paper. Anyway, there are specific customs and traditions of each festival that vary. But the main focus of every festival is the ritualistic prayer for the good health of each baby and a competition between the screaming infants held by sumo wrestlers inside a wrestling ring. Talk about mixed messaging. <laughs> we we wish blessings on this child. Now really get in its face. Ah! <laughs> there is a referee to judge the match. And the baby that cries the first, the loudest, and the longest are deemed the winners. And so they they are blessed with a long and healthy life if they win. And I doubt the, it. The, <laughs> I doubt it very much. The, Sh- the Shinto priest will open each festival with rituals. As I said, they pray for the healthy growth of each baby. And the staff at the shrine make these four-pronged kabuto helmets for each participant to wear you you might recall seeing sumo wrestlers wearing these helmets um Mm -hmm. i didn't recognize the actual helmet but i recognized it as being represented by the watermelon helmet that that cat's wearing in that meme (laughs) so if you think about that Mm -hmm. that orange cat who's wearing the watermelon helmet right that's kind of like that's kind of like what these sumo helmets look like. Okay. They wear these helmets, and then they compete in the crying competition, and then they get their commemorative gifts and their souvenirs for the parents. Um, and the louder that the babies cry, the more the ritual helps protect the young child and the community. Here's the thing, though. If both babies start crying at the same time, which is not unusual due to all the screaming and scaring and such. Do they have a scream off? 
the winner is decided by whichever baby cries the loudest. Okay. So they, I think, I think what's really interesting is at this point you kind of have to make sure that the crowds like, shh, shh, let's really pay attention to which ones screaming the most. Right, right. Yeah, because and they're both screaming. They're they're both screaming at the same time. At the same time. It's yeah. And if you're a sumo wrestler and your and your baby charge mm-hmm. has like slowed in screaming, you got to make him scream again. So you right. got to like give him a good shake or something. Is pinching allowed? Uh, I don't see anything th- that says that you mm. can't, but I don't think they're encouraged to harm the babies. Sure. Physically. Just just emotionally. Just emotionally. Just emotional trauma. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think uh, I do recall a fun story about your childhood and you were pinched. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I was like, I don't know, maybe a year and a half old and my mom got in her head how cute it would be to have a picture of me sitting in front of the fireplace on Christmas morning with an empty stocking and crying. Mm -hmm. And so they lied to me and told me it was Christmas as soon as I got up from my nap. Mm -hmm. And then they brought me down and they put me in front of the fireplace and handed me an an empty Christmas sock. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of went, yeah, okay, whatever. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't the reaction my mom was looking for. So she pinched me until I cried. Now you know the rest of the story. Um, Did you get a commemorative hat? No, I didn't even get a paper hat. I got nothing. I got a bruise. Do we have that picture somewhere around here? Yeah, I got it somewhere. I I need to see this. Okay. I am familiar with the story, but I don't think I've ever seen the picture. I have seen the one of you sitting at the telephone table talking on the phone, and you're so cute. Yep. It's so cute. That's back when those phones, you had to pick them up and click the receiver and ask Sadie to connect you. See, because I'm old. Give me Sarcoville 224. Yeah, right. Klondike 579. Everybody talked like this. All the time. Oh, my gosh. We were watching that thing about Houdini last night, and there is audio of Houdini, and it's the only known audio of Houdini's actual voice. And, oh, my That's what he goodness, sounded like. It did not sound anything like I expected. Like, Houdini yeah. was- Houdini would be like Right? This. He, it was yeah. nothing he like would, that. He was kind of like a, a carnival huckster. He yeah. was doing a ballyhoo. First, you're going to want to check over here, because this is where you'll see me lose those handcuffs. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> Thank you. That's pretty good. Anyway, uh, this is uh, the Japanese Crying Baby Festival, and there you go. Put that one on the list. <laughs> I know. We need to go I there. Know. But I want to like stay inside the hotel and just look at it through a viewfinder or something, because I don't want to <laughs> listen to it. Yeah, I that don't That sounds terrible. No, it's awful. Oh, I forgot to mention that looped live stream show that we're going to do uh, for our patrons, the people who are supporting the show on Patreon, they will get uh, a discount code for the tickets and they will also have them uh, pre-sale. You can get them right. You can get them before they go on sale officially and you can save a little money at the same time. Uh, so it might be a good opportunity. It might be a good time for you to uh, jump on Patreon and become a patron of the Box of Oddities. It'd pay for itself. Well, not really, but at least we're not going to scream in your face like a sumo wrestler. <laughs> Thank you so much to our new patrons. We've seen a bunch this month, and we're so grateful uh, that you are joining us. And we're super excited about these looped shows, as well as potentially actually going outside Mm -hmm. and seeing people in person someday soon. Also, every month, 
we donate 10% of all of the support money we receive on Patreon to a worthy cause that uh, our patrons, the Inner Circle of Freaks, will actually vote on. And Voting starts this week. It starts this week. We'll see you soon. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.